Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. And I am glad that you're here this morning, and I'm going to ask you to join me in Romans chapter 1. Uh, and we'll, we'll get there in just a few moments. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the importance of disciple-making. We've been talking about how important that is as a, as a first launch in our, own, in our own homes. And the command that God gave to Israel, his, his chosen people, to bring the gospel to the nations. His, his command to them was to make sure that their story takes place in their home first. That's the safest place that you can make disciples. And as we become more comfortable in that arena, we can begin to grow outside of that. And last week, we we saw how Jesus commanded his disciples to, as they were going, and of course, some are doubting and some are scratching their head for a number of reasons, those of which we may not ever know, but there are often doubts associated with making disciples but I am convinced, and I, and I want to be very clear, though, though it, this may sound throughout the message, may, may sound a little sharp at times, I am pretty convinced for those that truly are followers of Jesus, I mean, have, have truly said yes to him and are at are any place, at any place along the line in their, in their relationship with Jesus, there is something transformational about the gospel in the life of every believer, regardless of where you are in your faith. It's transformational. It's transforming. The gospel is transforming. And one of the the supernatural transforming things about the gospel is its ability to be multiplied, replicated. Uh, The the gospel is... uh, Uh, I think supernaturally, once it comes into the life of a believer, one of the first things that happens is there is a desire to tell others about it. Uh, I I believe that by nature. And if that's not true in your life, then one of two things is occurring. Number one, you've not truly been transformed by the gospel. Or number two, over the time, you've talked yourself out of effectiveness. And I have found that, that more, more common than not, most Christians will eventually talk themselves out of the command to make disciples. And so we, we, we are not neutralized. We actually neutralize ourselves. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is those things that stand in our way from effectively doing what the Holy Spirit does through us. And, and Paul talks just a little bit about that in Romans chapter 1. But uh, over the last couple of weeks, and certainly today, I want us to, to really nail down some things. And, and today is going to be just a little bit doctrinal. It's going to be a little bit deep. There's going to be a lot of things that I say that are, are unintentionally one-liners. And I don't mean that on purpose. Uh, but there's going, for those of you who are note-takers, I applaud you. But I also encourage you, don't get lost in note-taking that you can't understand the moment that you're in. Because it'll be very important for us to connect all of those things together as we build throughout the next, I really want to say 30 minutes, but who am I kidding? Okay? 
I'm trying not to make light of that because it really is a big deal. I, I try to cut it off. I had a professor in Bible college that said every sermon should be like a loaf of bologna. You cut it off at any place and it's still bologna. Uh, and I don't think he's talking about the subject matter being baloney. I think he just means like, I just have never learned how to just, okay, we're done. Boom, here it is. Everybody walks away going, wow. Uh, so I gave up on the wow factor a long time ago. So, uh, so every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus has been given a sacred stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a gift. The gospel, Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the free gift, but ultimately, the, Jesus is the good news. He doesn't just have good news, he is the good news. So when I say a stewardship of the gospel, I mean a stewardship of Jesus himself. So Jesus came to earth, as you well know, and Jesus, and Jesus alone, has a duality of natures. Jesus has two natures. He has a heavenly nature. He has his divine nature of deity. Jesus also has his human nature. And so those are in exact proportions to each other. It's complicated. I'm not going to explain all of it. I'm just setting the, 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 the premise of the day. But in those two natures, Jesus came to both show us how to live now and also how we will live later. He, there is a now and later aspect to almost everything that Jesus does. So when Jesus died for us in the flesh, he made a way for us to be able to die to ourself, to be able to die to our earthly nature, our natural self. But in his resurrection, he gives us power for eternity. And now we have access to that nature as well. So when we think about salvation... The need for salvation is the focus on the, the, the historicity of Jesus, who he is in the flesh. But after salvation, we begin to focus on who he is for all eternity. For, for instance, let me say it this way, to focus on Jesus's uh, natural self, his humanity, is to focus on him being our savior and our need for redemption. But after salvation, we begin to focus on him being the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the eternal creator of all things. Okay? It's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big distinguish because, because as Christians, once we say yes to, who, to what Jesus has done, now we are empowered to say yes to who Jesus is in his deity, okay? That's what begins to empower us, not just to live like Jesus on earth, but to be empowered by Jesus through his spirit to be able to accomplish supernatural spiritual things. I say it kind of, you know, for you make a little bit, but only to put that into the scope that that is true for every one of us. That is not a, a, uh, an individual, I mean, a, uh, a general calling. That is an individual calling to everyone who has the nature of Jesus inside of them. The power to live now and the joy of living eternally. Okay? That is our purpose and that is our empowerment. So to say, I am not gifted to do certain things is an insult to the Holy Spirit of God. 
To say that I'm not called to this, that, or the other is an insult to the God who has already commissioned us. That's the point in saying all of that. Because each individual follower of Jesus Christ has been commissioned to make disciples and to have a sacred stewardship of the gospel, Jesus Christ himself. That's a lot. That's about as deep as it's going to get. So if you're still with me, we are good to go. All right? The second thing is I want us to understand that this is not a, a neutral call that has no uh, accountability to it, okay? We will be, are, and will be accountable before God one day when we stand before Him in how we have invested the gospel in those that are around us. We will stand account, not only the evangelists, or the super apostles, as Paul will we'll talk about that later. Not just those who are great orators, but every believer will stand before God and give an account for thou, how they have invested the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world around them. And I'm convinced that we want to. In fact, I'm going to start there. I'm convinced that we want to, and I'm convinced that we would if we knew how. We've just talked ourselves out of it. We've just told ourselves we're no good at it. We've just, and, and today, what, what, well, I'll just say it this way. Uh, we fear being put on the spot, or we fear having the wrong answer, or we fear looking foolish, and we always want to present ourselves in the very best light. And that's what any normal human being would want, right? Nobody wants to be known as the person who trips on their way into the room every time. Every human wants to be known as a person who everybody looks at and says, well, they, they're always cast in the best light, and we protect it. And honestly, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that challenges that sometimes. So the opening section of the book of Romans is all about the gospel. The good news of salvation that's found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and, and the work that he is doing now for us. The first seven verses talks about the fundamental truths of the gospel. We won't get into those today, maybe, maybe sometime soon. In verses 8 through 13, there are the qualities that are required of good servants of the gospel and Paul kind of uses some of his own um, characteristics of that in a very unselfish, um, non-self-centered way. But today I want us to focus on Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And here, Paul has already laid the groundwork for what the gospel is, what the gospel does, and the resume required for presenting the gospel. But here Paul says that it is not enough to know the gospel in your head. The gospel has only enough power to change a single person if you only know the gospel in your head. But the gospel has unlimited power if you will speak the gospel with your mouth. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. 
That's where we start talking ourselves back. And so we spend a lot of time in Bible study, reading books, building our faith in our head. But we spend very little time talking about how to actually share our faith, tell our story with those around us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, you'll notice verse 14, 15, and 16. There's three verses here. Each of those verses starts with Paul making an I am statement. And we're really going to focus on those I am statements of Paul today. It reveals his eagerness and his excitement for the spread of the gospel. It's like, like we're looking right down into and doing a, an MRI, MRI of, Paul's, of Paul's heart. Paul, Paul reveals to us that it is the, the, the most significant passion of his life is the proclamation of the gospel. And so I want to just stop for a moment before we go any further and ask you this, and I want you to think about it throughout the next few moments. What is the burning passion of your soul? What is the, what is the thing that the burning passion of your life. And you, I'll be honest with you, I think most people would say, hmm, I don't really, I don't really know. I don't really know what, like, what motivates me, what, what excites me. I mean, we've got a vacation coming up soon. Is that, no, 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 no. Or maybe I'll get a raise at the beginning of the, no, 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 no. The burning passion of your existence. I think most people want that. I think most people crave it. I think even young people want it. That's why they're trying to find out who they are. Who do they belong to? Who are my people? Who can tell me what I am? Who can tell me why I exist? Who, who, can, who can give me some of this information? And we as adults, we just mask it a little bit, but we're craving the same thing socially, materially. We're looking for somebody. Maybe one day we get into hobbies and we get into all sorts of different things looking for that thing that might ignite me. And what Paul says is the thing that sets me ablaze is the proclamation of the gospel. Shouldn't that be true of every believer? It can't be true of us when we've talked ourselves out of it. We benefit from it, but we're also neglecting others from the same benefit when we talk ourselves out of it. So let's look at verse 14. Paul said, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul begins by saying, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and to the foolish. This, this I am is very intentionally in the present tense. He's not saying I will be or I hope to be or after I have paid my dues or after I have learned more, I will be better capable. There is this constant. And again, I think we do a discredit to the gospel this is something that just kind of struck me this week. And, and, and if it weren't for just classification, uh, I think we do a disservice to the gospel when we say things like the Apostle Paul. Why do we say that? Because immediately you hear Apostle Paul, what do you say? Well, I'm, no, I'm, not the, I'm not Apostle Paul. What if we just said Brother Paul or Paul? 
Then all of a sudden, this mysterious supernatural empowerment is kind of off of Paul. We say Apostle Paul, that sets him in a different tier, in a different hierarchical structure where, well, of course, he's an apostle. Yeah, and he used to be a murderer. And no one speaks more self-deprecating than the chief of sinners. What if Paul were just a man trying to figure it out on his own? Just a man who said yes to Jesus, who was humbled on a road and said yes to Jesus and actually took it at face value and began to do what Jesus called him to do. And out of that, he becomes developed, not as a super powerhouse, but just as a man, what it looks like for every man who says yes to the sacred responsibility of the gospel. This is a Paul talking about this state of perpetual being, this present tense, like I am under obligation. The way we would translate this is I am always recognizing the need for. I'm always aware of my obligation, the, the obligation that the gospel has brought into my life. Now, that, that word obligation, well, that's a great Christian word, obligated, must, have to. You know, we, we, we kind of we thrive on, on those kinds of words. And the King James, if you're reading from the King James, even the New King James translates this into the word debtor, which is a really good word, but obligation works just as well. It's a word ophiletes. It means that a person who owes someone else. It's really, really complicated, right? Someone who owes someone else. The background is of the, of the word is like a financial obligation that is owed by one person to another person. If you're a debtor to someone, then you have an obligation to pay off the amount that is owed. Now, that should strike us as interesting for two reasons, because if you've read anywhere else in Scripture, you know that salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a free gift. So how can Paul possibly be a debtor if he received grace as a free gift? And Paul often talks about salvation being like this prepaid gift that Jesus has given to us. In, in Romans chapter 3, he will even say, being justified as a gift by his grace, he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. That, not of anything that you've done, it is a free gift of God. So how could Paul be in debt for a free gift to which he paid nothing? How could Paul say that he has gone into debt except that if in our culture, if someone were to do something for you, a favor, for instance, you would say, hey, thank you, what? I owe you one. I owe you one. Or if you're in the middle of the road and you can't hear oncoming traffic and somebody runs out from their front porch and they grab you and throw you up on the bank just as a Mack truck runs by, you would say, thanks, man. I owe you one. No, no, no. If they save your life, they'd say, I owe you from now on. Whatever you ever need, I'm always in your service. I'm always in your debt because my breath, my continual breath brings about a continual obligation. So, so what we know is that the debt 
or the sense of loyalty is always commiserate to the gift. And the second reason that this saying is surprising is that Paul has never been to Rome. He, he says that. He says, I wish that the Holy Spirit would let me come to Rome. I've, I want to be there with you. And someone who has been there wouldn't say it that way. He's never met these believers, the people who are receiving the letter. He didn't stalk them on Facebook. But he says, but I'm in debt. I'm in debt to people that I've never seen. What have they ever done for him to be in their debt? How does it work? Well, you can be in debt two ways. And so just very quickly, follow me on this. One way is someone lends you money, and as long as the money is in your care, you are a debtor. Uh, the other way is if somebody were to give you money and said, you know, I'm going to give this to you, but when you see so-and-so, give them their part of it as well. So you walk away, let's just say, with $100 in your pocket, 50 of it is yours, and 50 of it belongs to so-and-so. And now you're in debt two directions. You're in debt first to the person who gave it to you because it still belongs to them. But you're also in debt to the person to whom you are going to give it to. You owe them as well until it is delivered. And then the exchange is between them and the original lender. I know, listen, we're in deep in the woods right now, but I need you to follow me for a moment, okay? Because this is the word choice that Paul uses. He is under obligation in debt both directions because of what God has done for him. But when God rescued him with the gospel, he told Paul to put the gospel in his pocket and to give it to everyone he encounters. And so Paul, with this understanding is, God in his goodness has stewarded me with Jesus Christ. And when he saved me, he put Jesus in my pocket and said, you owe this to everyone because I know and I remember who you were, Paul. And so Paul is walking around with the awareness that everyone that he encounters needs to hear the liberating good news of Jesus Christ. And so when he says, I am under obligation, what he is saying is he is constantly aware of what he's been entrusted with. That everywhere he goes, every encounter that he has is in his pocket as an opportunity to give it away. And until he gives it away, He's under obligation. As long as I withhold the gospel from someone else, your salvation is no less significant than the Apostle Paul. And when you said yes to Jesus, he gave you himself. And he said, as you go, give me away to everyone. Because I am not to be restricted to only you. I belong to everyone. So long as you keep Jesus to yourself, you are obligated to everyone and you deprive them in your office, in your family, at your school, the person you sit beside on an airplane. You remain in debt to them. 
because God has entrusted you to give the truth to them. Walking around benefiting. But just think of it this way. Walking around benefiting, know that there's something in your pocket that belongs to the person you walk by. You'd never do that in real life. You'd never do that with a $100 bill. If you knew $50 belonged to the person you walked by, you would never walk by them without honoring that. But we do it with the gospel everywhere we go. Ezekiel chapter 33. I want to read that. But the illustration is uh, in ancient times, they would have guards outside the city walls. And when someone would see like a, an enemy combatant coming near to the city gates, they would sound an alarm to, like, to make sure that everybody in town knew, hey, there's somebody coming. Something's coming. We better be ready. They were called watchmen. Ezekiel chapter 33, here's what is said beginning in verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. You hear that? You will hear the word, you'll put it in your pocket, and everybody you pass, you're obligated to tell them what I'm telling you. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, or on the other, in the other case, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, but he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. In other words, your responsibility is not if someone believes or not, your presentation is not what is important. Obedience to the warning is the important part. God told Ezekiel here, O watchman, your responsibility is to warn people. If they die and they didn't know, you walk by them with it in your pocket, it's on you. But if you warn them and they reject you, it's on them. But you've satisfied the blood on your hands. Maybe that'll make better sense as to why in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul has lived in Ephesus for three years. He has preached in the synagogue, in big church, in little church, in big houses, in little houses, in big groups, in small groups. For three years, he has developed... A, a, a following of Christ in one of the world's largest cities at the time. And by the way, most pagan cities of the time. And so when Paul is about to leave after three years, he said to the elders that were meeting them there at the boat, he said, I am innocent of the blood of all men. What he said is, I've left a witness here. You are the witness. I've preached for three years. There's nobody in Ephesus who hasn't had an opportunity to take what's in my pocket. I've given it all away. And so everybody hasn't received it. But I'm, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, I have fulfilled my 
obligation. I have fulfilled my obligation. I'm not obligated to, to them any longer. So in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, he says, I'm under obligation. He says, I'm compelled to go to Rome. I'm compelled to go to Rome because Rome is the capital of the world. And I have something for them in my pocket. But I need us to understand this is not something that we can do. It's not something we do. Paul didn't say, I preach the gospel. What did he say? I am obligated. It's, it comes from who I am, not what I do. It, it flows out of me. Not, it's a checkbox on my list of go to church, talk about Jesus. No, it just naturally flows out of me. I mean, I'm, I'm under obligation. It's just as natural as talking about the weather or Arkansas Razorbacks. Talking about Jesus is just as natural as talking about, well, maybe it's not that natural to talk about the Razorbacks this season. Speaking as a Kentucky fan, I get it. Don't get mad at me. Listen, don't get mad at me. Boy, we could commiserate together this year. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Razorback fan too, by the way. Just a little lower than you were. But he says, I'm under obligation to the Greeks, the civilized, the, 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 the poets, the, the ones who smell good, the ones who put oil in their hair. I'm, I'm, an, I'm obligated to, to the ones who can read and write, to the ones who are on the social top of the ladder, to the smart ones who start universities, but also to the barbarians who we don't really even know how to map out their country's borders because they're not on the map. They can't read. They can't write. They know nothing. They don't, they don't write poetry. <laughs> they are weirdos. In fact, barbarians is not really a word. You may not know that. Barbarians is a name that the Greeks came up with because when barbarians spoke, they went bar, 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 bar. That's all the Greeks could hear when barbarians spoke. It's a made-up word. It makes fun of them because it's unintelligible. Paul said... I'm indebted to the smart ones, the rich ones, the seasoned ones, the cultured ones, and I'm indebted to the ones who live in the ditches, the ones who don't know how to go to the store, who don't wear clean clothes, to those that are educated, the wise ones who make good financial decisions, who live up on the hills, and from those who are foolish, who can't put two good days beside each other. Paul's not like well, I'm called to minister to this caliber of people. Paul would say, no, no, it doesn't matter. I'm obligated to people just like Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. So whether they are, I'm going to figure out how to appeal for Jesus Christ to the smart ones and to the not ones. Because they're all my people. Because believe me, I remember where I came from. I know what I'm capable of. And I've got something for all of them. Because the gospel is good for all of them. I've heard people say, well, man, that's heavy responsibility. Of course, as a pastor, you would say that, but we're not under the law. Well, you know, such thing as a duty or an obligation for Christians. 
No indebtedness that's laid on us. It is the free gift of God. And for those special, you know, if, if I say, you know, people who are like fanatics of Jesus, it's good for them. We, we pat them on the back and send them to our neighborhoods and into our workplaces. But that's not really for me. And there are no consequences if I say no. And here's what I've heard this a lot lately. And I'm talking about by lately, I mean over the last, that things change pretty quick in ministry. But I hear people say now, so, uh, I'm just going to give myself some grace. Well, I don't know who we think we are. You can't give yourself grace. You don't have any. We can't give ourselves grace. Not if you're, why are we shifting so much all of a sudden? I don't, I don't understand how we think we can give ourselves grace when the Apostle Paul says he's under obligation. It's funny how we put him up here, but then when it comes to our responsibility, we put him down here and we put ourselves up here. I don't have to do what he did. You can't receive grace of God without God giving you grace in your pocket. You can't receive the forgiveness of God without Him putting forgiveness in your pocket. You can't have His mercy without having mercy in your pocket. Everything that God has given you, He's entrusted you, and you're under obligation to give it away to the world. Wherever the Lord sends you, whoever you are, you're under obligation. And this presupposes that God, when Jesus comes along in Matthew 28 and he says to his disciples, as you go, make disciples, that presupposes that he is going to open doors that only were meant for you to walk through. He establishes your borders, and the book of Acts says. He's the one who brings, our, brings us in and takes us out. He's the one who sends us. And if that is true, then certainly there are people that we walk by. When we neglect sharing the gospel having Jesus on our lips. We're neglecting what he has called us in the room to do. My encouragement, because it's hard for us, it's hard for me, is, is to think about where would I do that without being just weird? How would you do that in Walmart when you're walking up down the aisle. Just maybe, maybe just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Maybe somebody will take the bait and say, what did you say? Jesus, do you want to talk about him? No, weirdo, get away from me. <laughs> I, I probably don't want to talk to you either about that. So I get that. I really do get that. We don't want to be weirdos like that. But I think that we're, if we're sensitive to the Spirit, we'll be able to read those moments and know Oh, I have something for you. Maybe to learn to talk to strangers. Maybe we need to learn how to talk to strangers. Paul even said that we should be lovers of strangers. We're not lovers of strangers. Often we avoid strangers. Most Christians organize their life in such a way that they don't have to deal in uncomfortable realities. I would encourage you to find a baseball team or a soccer team or a, some team to coach or to invest in, or to make sure that you're around other parents so that you can have some opportunities to talk about the grace of God in your life. Maybe to be outside of your house a little more often, to be able to engage with your neighbors. Maybe to have 
social interactions in your home so that you have excuses for people to be around your words. I think that's what it looks like to be under obligation, to recognize that everything is attached to mission. You know what's hard? It's hard being a witness to your own family. It's easy to get on a plane and go to another nation and proclaim the gospel. It's another thing to sit at Thanksgiving and talk about how good Jesus has been. Some nuclear families can't do that. Sitting around the table for supper can't talk about how good God has been to their family. Maybe that's where we start. Learn to talk about God's goodness as a part of just who we are, not something that we just say. So, shifting gears, verse 15. It is this obligation because Paul says, so I am eager. So goes back up to the obligation. If you're not aware of your indebtedness, not aware of what's in your pocket, chances are you won't experience eagerness because eagerness is a byproduct of the obligation. Obligation has more to do with the action that we produce. Eagerness speaks with what kind of heart we do it with. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Because of this indebtedness, it's not a burden. The gospel, it's not a burden. I'm eager. I want to. I will. It's all I think about. So I want you to think about that for a moment. For a lot of us, like presenting the gospel is like terrifying. Talking about Jesus, terrifying. It's a burden that we don't want, but we're fully aware of it. But what if it wasn't a burden? What if we were eager? What if all Christians everywhere were eager to talk about Jesus everywhere we went? I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think Satan would tell us that it's a burden. Paul would say obligation, but it's an obligation because of what we've been given. Not a hindrance, not an obstacle. But we should be eager. The word eager is prothumos. It's, uh, it's actually two words. Thumos is, uh, is where we get the word passion. Uh, if you've ever watched runners run, and I, I'm not one, so don't judge me, but uh, when they run or something like that, uh, the, the, the forward lean, like when they're, like when they're moving forward, <laughs> uh, that is the word thumos. It's that forward lean for a runner. So when Paul says, I am eager, what he is saying is, I'm running to it. I mean, uh, so pro, when you put pro at the beginning of the word, it intensifies it. So it's like it, it moves from like a forward lean to heavy, with heavy breathing. Like there's an excitement to it, a passionate excitement to it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible word when Paul says, hey, I am running to the opportunity to present the gospel to people. How many Christians do you know that prothumos to give the gospel? Prothumos. Passionate eagerness, with anticipation to preach the gospel. The gospel, the good news. 
to verbalize it. We give ourselves a break and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to live it. Call it, uh, back in the 70s, we called it friendship evangelism or lifestyle evangelism. Just live it. People will see. But listen, here's the thing. People are not transformed by seeing the gospel. They are transformed by hearing the gospel. Verbalize it. One of Satan's greatest lies to our generation that's on earth right now is that you don't have to verbalize it. You ever hear people say, uh, what was it, Francis Assisi says, uh, you know, all times preach the gospel and when necessary use words? I don't think he said that. That's not true. I don't know. Maybe he did say it. But I don't think it's good advice. Because even when Jesus said for us to pray, he said, when you pray, say. That means out loud. When you talk about the gospel, it's always out loud. It's always make sure that the testimony of your lips, not just your heart, but your lips, it's important to verbalize the good news. Paul says, I'm eager. But if we thought about going next door to knock on a door and share the good news, we're like, nah, I think I'll catch you next week. Got anything else to do tonight? Or we're going to put up a tent for the parade and say, hey, if you want to have a gospel conversation, come talk to me. We would say, nah, there's going to be like four people standing at that tent. We should be eager to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And Paul says, he goes even so far as to say to you who are in Rome, I'm almost done, hang in there for a few minutes. To those of you in Rome, well, he's writing to Rome, but Rome is the capital of sinfulness in the world right now. It's the hardest place on earth to go during Paul's day. And Paul said, it is with eagerness that I want to come to your city and verbalize the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Paul is saying, without fear, without guilt, without restraint, without excuse, I wish that God would free me up. Here I'm sitting in the church at Corinth that I helped begin, and I've seen the power of the gospel. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in Ephesus. I've seen it in Corinth. I've seen it in every little city and town that I've been in. Boy, I sure would like to bring it to Rome. I can imagine what Rome would look like with the gospel. You think of, if, I think if you were to go back and you were to look at all of Paul's writing, you know, we're, we're talking about like reading him horizontally throughout all of his writings. You will see that Paul asks often for a few things. He asks for them to pray that he would have boldness. Pray that I would have confidence. You know, a bold, confident person don't ask you to pray for that. Paul's not like this, I mean, maybe he is a type A, but Paul's not like this, ain't nobody going to get in my way. Paul's like a, okay, here we go. But I'm under obligation, and it's with eagerness. And I know what the gospel can do in the life of a person, because look at me, I was a mass murderer. <laughs> I mean, I killed the very people that were giving the message that with eagerness I want to give to everybody. I know what the power of God can do in the life of a person, and I want everybody to know it. 
but we don't know it. We don't spend much time focusing on our transformation. We don't spend much time talking about what God has done in our life, what he's delivered us from. But I'm pretty sure if we could remember what God has delivered us from, we would be obligated. We'd sense our obligation. We're afraid to tell our story because it doesn't cast us in the best light, does it? I don't want anybody to know that I've... Ooh, I just about said it. I don't want anybody to know that it's the kind. No, I want everybody to think. You know, you, know why the, you know why the world, the number one reason why the world won't come to church? Because they don't think they fit with us. They don't know that some of us are worse than them. Because we wear our masks when we're together. We put those masks on. I don't want anybody to know that we used to be addicted to this, that, or the other, that we've been with this person or that person, or that we've cheated these people. We don't want anybody to know those things. No, I want everybody to, I want myself to be cast in the best light. Well, I want to tell you, and I don't make this up, there's not very many people that I know that's worse than me. So for those of you who think church people got all their stuff together, not this one. But I know the power of the gospel. I know what I used to be, and I'm not that anymore. But it ain't because I'm good. It's because I know the goodness of God, and he put it in my pocket for you, and I want to give it to you. Because it'll set you free. It'll set you free. You don't have to live behind your mask. I don't know where Rome is for you. I don't know where the hardest place in the world is for you. Maybe it's Africa. I've come home from Africa, and I told, I, just a couple, several times ago, I came home, and I told Donette, I said, hey, we need to talk. And she said, we're moving to Africa, aren't we? <laughs> and no, we are not. That is not where God is calling me. Maybe China, maybe Pakistan, maybe Iran, I don't know, maybe Gaza, I don't know. I hear people say all the time, we need to pray for peace in the Middle East. Boy, I sure wish they had peace. But the absence of war will never bring them peace because they don't know Jesus. It's quite possible that war is what will allow the gospel to end of the Middle East because right now they're all dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. Peace won't bring them Jesus. I know what that sounds like. And I, am, I, I, I try to pray about, I don't know, God, you just need to be there. Whatever that looks like, you need to be there. I don't know. Is that Rome? I don't know. Where is the hard place? San Diego, San Francisco, New York City. Where is the hard place? Where's the hardest place? Your neighborhood? Is that the hardest place for you? Your living room? Maybe your dinner table. Maybe the hardest place. But I encourage you, when you recognize your obligation, with eagerness, you'll go to your dinner table and talk about the goodness of Jesus Christ. You don't get much publicity in Scripture, but in the book of Joshua, I think it's chapter 14, they're uh, dispensing out all of the, the tribes into the, where their place is. And I remember uh, Caleb and Joshua were the two 
spies that came back and said, let's do it. And all the other was like, no way. You know, they're monsters over there. And 40 years they spend wondering. Well, John, Caleb is 40 years old when they go in as spies. And in this monologue, Caleb is talking to Joshua about the land. And he says, for 40, 45 years ago, I remember going in there. And I remember looking at everything. And I remember coming back and saying, let's do it. If God is for us, let's do it. So here we are. I'm 85 years old and I'm just as strong right now as I was then. Every 85, I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe every 85-year-old man thinks that he's just as strong as he was. I know in my head I am. I'm not 85, but we'll see. But here's what Caleb says at 85 years old. We're talking about who gets what. Here's what Caleb says. I'm going to read it to you. Give me the biggest mountain with the biggest giants. Give me the biggest mountain with their fortified cities. Because I know there's giants. This is the Appalachian version up in the Mare Hills. And here's what he said. If God goes with me, I'll drive them out just as God said. At 85 years old. The biggest deterrent of disciple making isn't them. It's right inside of here. It's right inside of here. It's overcoming self. It's not a guilt issue. That's been settled. It's a shame issue. It's a being a Jesus person. Being indebted to Jesus is weak. And it doesn't cast us in the best light because we have to admit to some sin. This is why we come to verse 16 in closing. Paul said, This indebtedness brings eagerness, and eagerness is without shame. It's the biggest problem in our world today is shame. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ashamed of who I used to be. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, there's a lot I want to say about that, but I'm going to reserve it. And I want to say this. The gospel has a lot to do with shame. If you have the gospel of Jesus Christ on your lips and you speak the gospel to someone, immediately it's a shame issue. Because we feel that. We feel guilt and shame internally. We do that by nature because we are guilty and worthy of shame. What we've done and who we are by nature. God gave us that as a gift for a spiritual vacuum so that we would know what we need. And when you hear what you need and you say, yes, I need to be set free from my shame, it's liberating because it is the power of God into salvation. But for those who do not want to be free from their shame, they turn that shame and throw it right back on you. Well, who do you think you are to tell me anything about me? Or, oh, you're just one of those Jesus freaks, Bible thumpers who think you're better than everybody else. 
Boom, you see, it's a pivot point for shame. It's I'll either receive it and it'll drive me to my knees or I'll take it and I'm throwing it back in your face. But neither one of those things has anything to do with you, watchman. Receive the shame. Receive it. But just know what to do with it. If you want to cast yourself as the best, in the best light, don't talk about the gospel. But if you want your life to be for Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as shame anymore. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I was going to go through, one of the things I was going to do today was to, to work through everything Paul said about his own preaching. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Most scholars believe that he probably wasn't great. He often talks about how he bores people to death. And even Luke, in the book of Acts, when he talks about one of Paul's sermons, he says he preached till midnight and he went on and on. Even Eutychus fell out the window asleep. And then Paul, you know, this really not great speaker, goes down and says, okay, rise from the dead. Okay, well, at least he has that in his pocket. But Paul often talks about how powerful his letters are and how heavy his letters are, but how weak and humble is in person speeches are I don't know maybe he's just self-deprecating I'm not sure but here's what I would say your presentation of the gospel is not the power of God into salvation it is the good news of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives not your presentation of the best of that that you are it's not your presentation it's not your polished perfection or your or getting it all right and putting it all together. That's not going to win people to Jesus. But the gospel of Jesus will. And he'll use people like Paul or he'll use people like me or he'll use people like you. But it's his salvation. He's given it to you. And it's in your pocket for the nations. Jesus, oh, I wish I had time to get into this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. When shame said, ha ha, Jesus, naked Jesus on the cross, ha ha, bruised Jesus, open back Jesus, friends running through the woods Jesus. Whew, when shame starts, nah, 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 nah. what's Jesus do? Uh-uh, not today, shame. You don't own me. You think this was Jesus in the best light? No, I don't care about being in the best light. I hope that you can see Jesus in the best light. That's the only way you can despise the shame. It's the only way that you can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want him to be on center stage, not me. If you're looking at me, you're looking in the wrong direction. Praise be the name of Jesus Christ. He changed my life. And I'm indebted to the world for it. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word today. And I just pray that you would help us to overcome our internal excuses and the things that set us back and, and that, uh, that we would stop listening to the shame. Because it's not even the world that's, that's doing it. We, are, we shame ourselves. So this morning, Lord, I pray. The world that walks past us straight on their way to hell. We'd be able to pause for a moment. Take ourselves off center stage. Recognize 
our obligation and eagerly share the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Help us to overcome ourselves. Lord, you must increase and we must decrease. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And I, I, want us, I want us all to just pray and we're going to close. But I want you to, I want you to pray something along these lines if, if you will, if you, if you feel. Don't, don't respond to me. I know you respond to the Holy Spirit. But if you will say, Lord, help me get over myself. I'm convinced that you want to. We've just talked yourself out of it. Lord, help me to be strong in you. Help me to trust the power of the gospel instead of my own center stage, instead of my own polish. Let me recognize, Lord, what I have in my pocket that you've entrusted me with and you've told me to give away to everyone else. Let me begin in my home. Let me begin with my children. Let me begin with my spouse. Let me begin with my neighbors. Let me, let me move like the ripple of water until we get even out to the barbarians so that the whole world may know the power of God. I hope that you can pray that this morning and then I, I hope that we will continue to gather together to learn what it looks like to put all of it together. Lord, you're the one who has the map. You're the one who knows what you want for us here in this community, how to encourage each other in that how to speak that into the lives of those around us. Lord, as we send people like Josh and Jamie and as we, as we send Katie, we don't remove our obligation. We don't outsource our obligation. So Lord, help us not to just be senders. Help us to be goers as well. So Lord, remind us of who we've been so that we can remember what you've done in us. And may we be so excited about that that we can't keep our mouth shut. That Jesus would come up on our lips. And that the nations, the earth, would be full of your glory. Help us to despise the shame that comes with a life spent out for you. Lord, today we say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.